Welcome to Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, and I'm your host, Eugene Borohovich. In the previous episode, I spoke with Mark Beanie, Vice President of Pharmacy Care Solutions at Evernorth, Cigna's health services arm, which spearheaded a digital health formulary, including companies such as Amada, Quid Genius, and Hinge Health. Today, I speak with Meg Barron, Vice President of Digital Health Strategy at the American Medical Association. AMA represents the voices of over a quarter of a million physicians and is the largest and only national association that convenes 190-plus state and specialty medical societies and other critical stakeholders. But before we dive in, I ran into Meg at numerous events, both in person and virtual, but we formally got introduced just earlier this year. Meg struck me as a very sharp, dedicated, and passionate professional, and I'm really looking forward to spending more time with her at the upcoming events. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Meg Barron. Meg, welcome to the DTX podcast. Been looking forward to having you on here. And for all of our listeners, please tell us a little bit about your background, who you are, and don't forget one interesting fact about yourself. All right. Well, thanks so much, Eugene, and really, really appreciate the opportunity to be on today and appreciated listening to some others on your podcast as well. So great job on that. I'm Meg Barron. I'm Vice President of Digital Health Strategy and Innovation at the American Medical Association. And really what my role entails is helping to ensure that we're getting as much quality and evidence base into emerging technologies and solutions, and then also how we get scale and spread for those solutions in market. My background is actually in marketing, product, and business development. So I had roles at agencies or large groups such as Smith Buckland Corporation and Capgemini, which is a global consulting firm. I also have experience and past experience creating a company with the help of 1871, which is a tech accelerator space in Chicago and built in Chicago and some of those that were just getting off the ground at that time. And then also I participate on various boards and advisory groups such as Mass Challenge Health Tech, the advisory board for Matter Health, Together.Health, MedTech Color, FDA Collaborative Community. I'm a charter member for that. And then sit on the editorial review board for the Telehealth and Medicine Today Journal. And you said one fun fact. Was that right, Eugene? Did I have that right? Yes, yes. I was going to pick one of those out, but a fun fact out of your own mouth would be great. <laughs> Well, let's see. A bit of a nomad. So have moved and remodeled about six homes in the past six years. So I basically spend any free time like whatsoever, either at Lowe's or painting something or working with people that are at our house helping to do things and just definitely don't get too attached to anything in a house except for maybe art or the people in it. Well, the latter is important, so great to hear. And we'll share some other moving stories as we'll meet in Chicago later in September. Oh, that's right. Yeah, looking forward to that. So let's just jump right in. AMA represents the voices of over 250,000 doctors. That's at least what I looked up. And maybe not at 40,000-foot view, but a 10,000-foot view. Can you talk just kind of broadly AMA's position on digital health and digital therapeutics specifically? Yeah, sure. For those not as familiar, AMA is the largest physician organization. So we actually represent all physicians across all states and all specialties. We do have approximately, like you said, around 240, 50,000 members. 
we have a House of Delegates that includes representatives from the majority of all state medical societies and the majority of specialty societies and organizations. So that's really where our delegates come from for all things related to policy and resolutions. Specifically related to digital health, our overall goal is really how do we help to make technology an asset and not just one more thing or a burden for physicians, of course, but also, of course, patients and other members of the care team and just the industry at large. So to break that down, and I think that there's a lot of lessons learned from EHRs and the rollout of EHRs and the frustration points that were experienced from that that we're now embedding into our digital health strategy and trying to take as much of a multi-stakeholder approach for that as possible, recognizing that there's a lot of moving parts and that we really need to come together if we're going to look for improvements. I'm just going to reflect probably at aging myself, going back 15 years or so. It would take one or two techies and that was a product that was built. And I think today, any of the digital health companies that get started, really almost all have a clinical co-founder, or at least an early advisor. Obviously, when you're designing for the patient and especially in a prescription type of a setting, I think it's absolutely key to engage with the prescribers. So just reflecting on it. One thing I'd know about that, I mean, we just quickly mentioned Matter, which is in our backyard here in Chicago, just down the street from where American Medical Association's headquarters is. We ended up having a formal partnership with them when it was just all concrete. So it was over there with a hard hat on, the whole thing. We have a dedicated space there called the AMA Interaction Studio. And the initial intent for that was exactly what you were saying, Eugene. How do we get as many connections made and as much end user feedback as early and often as possible. And that was really well received. And we were getting so many inquiries for that, that I was playing in my small team at the time, was playing a lot of manual matchmaker between these worlds. So we actually used that as a starting off point to build something called the AMA Physician Innovation Network. And really what that is, is a match.com of sorts to help connect physicians and health tech companies of all different sorts, and now really others from the ecosystem together on one platform for more of a self-service model for that. And we pretty organically now have over 18,000 users on that platform. And I'd say about a fourth of them are physicians and the rest are entrepreneurs or again, others from the industry participating. But it's been really great to see those collaborations The companies can join for free and put up opportunities, whether they're paid or unpaid opportunities. And just to see both the connections, but also just the behind the scene anecdotes and stories of solutions improving as a result of that, to me has been really powerful and something that we continue to lean into. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with Meg Barron, Vice President of Digital Health Strategy at the American Medical Association. As for the listeners that tune in, we talk always about evidence here. And yes, on one side is with the entrepreneurs that are building and proving to this community, especially the prescription digital therapeutic. Physicians do need evidence in order to prescribe anything. So where do you think the evidence base stands? And again, I know this is a broader question for digital therapeutics versus wellness apps that are counts in hundreds of thousands. So just curious on how you think of this from an evidence-based perspective. 
I think this is such an important question. It's something that we continually are coming back to. I think even just to set the stage a little bit first, right now in market for physicians, for patients, I think for everyone, trying to translate the variations between digital health, digital medicine, virtual care, telehealth, telemedicine, digital therapeutics. It's incredibly confusing for everyone, let alone those that aren't as close or deep-rooted into this as we are. To that end, we in 2016 actually initiated some baseline digital health research. This was right when I was joining this group. And the intent for this was really to get just a pulse for what physicians were using today in practice. And this was very much EHRs aside, but for remote patient monitoring, clinical decision support tools, et cetera. What were they using today in practice? What were they excited about? And then even more so what their key requirements for adoption were. And the top line from that was the key requirements really fell into four key buckets. And I'll also state that especially given the frustrations that many were having at that time, and I think can still say are having, we were surprised and pleasantly surprised to see that enthusiasm for digital health was quite high, actually, and that there was an interest to use these technologies and tools. And I'd say, obviously, there's analogs here for digital therapeutics, like kind of nested underneath of all of this. But the key requirements came through loud and clear, and they really fell into four key categories. And the first and foremost thing is proved to me it works, improved to me that it has an evidence base, improved to me that it's showing outcomes across different use cases and that others are having successes using this. And the other three that very much parallel that are the second was proved to me that there's a fair payment pathway that I'll get obviously reimbursed if I'm going to use this or prescribe this. The third was around liability coverage. So proved to me that I am going to be able to feel confident using this or prescribing this from a data privacy or data security standpoint, for sure. And then the fourth and often the most difficult and where we spend a lot of our time, both on research and resources and initiatives and programs, is around prove to me that this is going to pretty seamlessly integrate into my workflow and into my EHR, and that it's not going to cause five more clicks or less FaceTime, which is already extremely hard to come by, virtual or not, with between me and my patient. So that has become foundational. We repeated that research actually in 2019, saw very similar findings in terms of requirements, and we released that about a month pre-COVID. So we had already seen a spike in usage for all of the seven categories of solutions that we asked about. And then obviously the pandemic hit, we've seen this massive spike. We just repeated that research. We haven't released the results yet. We're going to release those in September during the week of Rock Health. But I'll give you just a, a sneak peek that the key requirements remain very much in place. And if anything, that evidence piece and also that data privacy and security piece are only becoming increasingly important. So I think it's something that we just have to keep center stage as we think about any new solution development. Yeah, maybe we can just uh, quickly double click on some expectations. You listed kind of four pillars and one of them was payment. Maybe you can dive a little bit deeper in some of the expectations and reimbursements by the physician. I think it's something, and there's a few ways that we've looked at this. First and foremost, and I've spent the last two and a half years being 
extremely deep into virtual care. And even using that as an analog of, as we all know, the fact that the pandemic really allowed for all of those key requirements to be met in some way, shape or form. And hence now we've seen the traction that we've seen for virtual care. Now though, with reimbursement being up in the air for virtual care and for telehealth, we're hearing left and right from practices of all sizes especially private practice, but also large health systems that while they very much want to continue using and offering virtual care and they want to additionally build out more so a digitally enabled strategy and approach for all that they're doing, sometimes just the pure financials of it, it's incredibly difficult to operationalize if reimbursement seems that it's not going to stick or be sustainable. So you really have to think about it from more of a comprehensive lens. And I will say that we were hearing this so much that about a year ago, we ended up working with a group called Manat Health, which is a legal and consulting firm. And we actually built out what we call a return on health value framework. And while the initial focus was very much for virtual care, it really has applicability more broadly for you name it in digital medicine and digital therapeutics included. And what we did was we surveyed, you name it, in healthcare. So health system executives, physicians, members of the care team, payers, employers, et cetera, to really get pulse on how they were approaching this. And then from a practice setting perspective at both the private practice, but also large health system perspective, we built out an actual framework that takes into account what that practice's environmental variables are. So think, are they fee-for-service? Are they value-based care? What their patient population is? What their objectives are? And then we were able to develop what was being really utilized to date, but more in an ad hoc fashion, as the key ways that they were measuring value beyond just short-term ROI. So how is patient access being increased or how is value being created there? How is this helping to address health equity, which goes to some degree hand in hand with patient access, clinical outcomes. So especially for patient, caregiver, physician satisfaction and how that's orchestrating itself. And then, of course, clinical outcomes, which at times can have a longer tail. But starting to at least see this in a snapshot view, we've heard has been incredibly helpful for internal conversations about, well, look, even if short term ROI might not be there quite yet, or we're not able to prove that out quite yet based on investments that have to be made. The other value outcomes that are being created, especially taking approach of both in-person and virtual, you know, being hand in hand are there and it's worth the investment for this to happen. And I think that's the way we have to think about it for traction to continue to remain. And I will say, and this is freely available like on our website and all, that we ended up doing real-world use cases and case studies from the likes of Ashner and City Block Health and Mass General and VCU and a number of other illustrative case studies that we included into this report. So those are there and available, and you can see actual live data of how that's portraying itself. What I will say, though, is we've also been collecting these case studies nationwide from practices of all sizes And these have been incredibly valuable to my colleagues and our colleagues in advocacy and policy who are then going and making the case for continued reimbursement and for continued traction to remain. 
Well, that sound means it's time for a question from my clinical and commercial partner on this podcast, Chandana Fitzgerald, who is the chief medical officer and general manager of Health Excel, and as her friends call her, Dr. No Crack. Let's see what question Chandana has for our guest today. Hi, Meg. Does the AMA have any plans to more formally include education and training of physicians in digital health? And do you have any evidence of an appetite for this? Thanks, Shanana. Yes, there definitely is. We've started on this already in a few different ways. One, my team, we lead a number of different programs and initiatives. We've had things such as an immersion program on topics such as virtual care, where we're actually helping to both hands-on where people reach out to us, but also more so through a series of educational webinars, through different peer-to-peer learning sessions, be able to share both lessons learned that practices and health systems have been experiencing across the board, but then also best practices that people are seeing and even diving deeper into that at a specialty level. We've worked with a number of state medical societies on something called a telehealth initiative, which is more so a cohort of practices that we were able to bring together to, again, do very similar things that we've now scaled through the immersion program, which is focused on just tell me what's working in your own practice environment. And let's have more of an upfront discussion about that. But then two, being able to share where they are seeing successes and and things sticking and working well, all with kind of an overall emphasis on optimization now that adoption has happened, at least in, in those perspectives. Bigger picture at the AMA, we have something called Accelerating Change in Medical Education, where we've convened a whole consortium of medical schools and residency programs across the country to really do just that, reimagine what is really needed for the curriculum of the future for those entering medical school and entering residency today. And much of that, of course, also includes digital health at the broadest term and digital medicine. And of course, I think digital therapeutics will additionally be woven into that equation as well to ensure that you know the needs of the patient and also the expectations of the patient are being met and that that's properly integrated into their curriculums. So I'm going to hop in here. Obviously, we all know education is important and it's so tied together to the patient experience because some of these new tools appear in the market, have evidence, now getting prescribed. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what the envisioned patient experience. We're still talking about interoperability. We still have tools to plug into many different things and some concerns to a certain extent that the docs may or may not have around, you know, becoming those front lines of quote unquote support and not literally, but you know what I mean. So we'd love to hear what the discussions are around patient experiences on some of these new digital therapies. Yeah, really great question. Again, for some initial context, burnout, as we all know, is a huge problem for everyone right now, but physicians' rates of burnout are among the highest of any industry. And this is especially coming out of the pandemic. And we have research that actually states that one in five doctors could plan to leave the profession within the next two years, and many more would plan to even reduce the hours that they work. So as we think about that, and then this massive tsunami of need, right, that is coming down the pipe, that's alarming and something that needs to be addressed. And obviously, there's numerous factors playing into this. But the largest is that administrative burdens are just off the chart. And 
no pun intended on that, but I mean, really, the administrative burden is incredibly heavy that we've done research, national research shows physicians are spending two to one time right now on administrative burdens versus FaceTime or direct patient care of some sort. And that's just not sustainable. And that's just not the right way that this should be set up. And there's also research that shows that in any given shift, a physician can have upwards of 4,000 clicks in their EHR, which is pretty alarming. And when you think about kind of alert fatigue or just the fact that data not getting actionable data, I should say not getting to the right hands at the right time, that's not the best patient experience that could be there. So those are a few of the context setting, I think, important points to keep in mind. And we also know, and we're patients ourselves, that it's incredibly complex for all patients, let alone those with chronic disease or that are consistently having to leverage their care teams and physicians to be able to navigate it all. And I think we've all had instances of why are we filling this out again? Or why can't this person just talk to this person? And less of the jargon of interoperability and all, but more of the common sense of, I just don't understand how this can't be better. And how do we help to tackle some, again, of those largely administrative issues that are really keeping better patient care from being experienced across the board? And not everybody knows everything. And I think, you know, as we sort of extend the circles, we sort of typically talked about doctors, nurses, but there's many other professions that are surrounding this in team care approach, aka health coaches, as an example. Yeah, we think all the time about the need for team-based care. And we definitely have the position of a physician-led team-based care approach for the reasons that we know and have done research on patients feeling the most trust, of course, when the physician is at the center for that. But the need for coordinated care amongst the care team is absolutely essential. And coaches as part of that, of course, nurse practitioners, PAs, and then also those that are helping to take some more of the task, administrative task, like off the table. So again, back to that in-person or direct patient care that can be experienced. I think one of the biggest hurdles that's going to be faced right now with all of the opportunity and kind of emerging digitally enabled care models that are on the table is how do we avoid not creating additional fragmentation of care? And you brought up interoperability earlier. That goes hand in hand, that if we're already have been experiencing such frustrations or friction points as it relates to that, how do we help to ensure that any of these emerging players are directly coordinated into that care experience for, of course, the patient, but also for everyone else that is having a hand in adding value um, to that experience. I was going to ask you what the key barriers for continued physician adoptions are, but I'm going to actually reverse that question. I'm going to say, what are all the opportunities ahead? What do we need to solve for? And again, I know we're talking on this episode a little bit broader than pure digital therapeutics, but if we can kind of home in a little bit and, and broader is fine, but we'd love to understand what are some of these opportunities that we need to solve for in coming years in order to help with better outcomes and put some of these tools in patients' hands with the support of the physicians. Well, thanks. I love the reframing of opportunities because I will say, I feel like there are so many companies and groups out there that are wanting to truly, of course, add value and not 
just add one more thing to the plates of anyone that is both receiving or providing care. What I will say, and this of course stems from research that we've done, but also so many anecdotal conversations that I have on a daily basis is that probably first and foremost is just that workflow integration piece and just avoiding the just one more point solution for a very nominal ROI. And I think that that gets back to that return on health. Like how do we look at this more comprehensively? And I think that's where the companies and solutions that help to really see that wider lens as well and kind of typical iPhone effect, right? Of you would prefer to integrate one solution that can do 10 things versus 10 solutions and have kind of the change management that goes along with each and every one of those. So I think that is absolutely critical. And I think that the companies, again, that are getting as much end user feedback, inclusive of as many of those in the care team, and of course, patients are going to be those that are going to be the most successful. And again, for those that are taking as wide a lens as possible as part of this overall experience. Easier said than done. We recognize that. I mean, we've, (laughs) of course, done a number of initiatives, but also we've attempted to do some very pragmatic resources, such as a whole series that we've titled a digital health implementation playbook series. So the first one we did on remote patient monitoring, the second on telehealth, we're actually going to be kicking one off soon here on health at home. So think of all of the solutions nested into that and just overall emerging new care model that is coming to the fold or I like to say to some degree, though, everything that's old is new again. So it's kind of going back to just the home visits that were of the past, but adding technology to be able to do that in an enhanced way. And I think that that can be incredibly powerful for everyone. Also, that digital health baseline research that I mentioned that we just repeated, the ability for a technology or solution to really help be better than the status quo. And again, that goes hand in hand with not just one more thing I have to integrate in, but this truly has to prove that if I'm going to disrupt my care team, if I'm going to disrupt my workflow, if I'm going to have to integrate this into my EHR, it truly has to be better or provide better outcomes. So for all those reasons, that's where we really, really lean into showing versus just telling and showing via use cases, via actual case studies that are being seen at different practice levels and different settings and different specialties. So to me, those are some of the best ways that we've seen traction start to really scale. A demo speaks a thousand words, right? That's right, right. (laughs) So we've talked about many stakeholders. And one of the questions I ask on the show is, what advice you would give. And typically I ask to pick one, but I think I'm going to leave this again, an organization such as AMA, I'll leave this maybe broader again. What advice would you give entrepreneurs, regulators, doctors, all of the above? I think this is the billion plus dollar question. Four trillion, right? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Four trillion dollar question. For us, the way we approach this is no one group can do this alone. Of course, physicians and patients are our main target audiences, but we are routinely working to bring others that are critical stakeholders, be it the payers, be it employers, be it patients themselves, of course, 
to the fold for every true program initiative resource that we're working to build out because we're just not going to be able to tackle this appropriately if we don't have that and coordination is really going to be key. I will say that we've got some research and development that we've termed the future of health and what's this digital health disconnect look like. And as part of that, we've done just that. We've included, of course, physicians from all different practice settings, those that are in private practice, those in large health systems, those that have gone to work for digitally enabled companies, new emerging solutions, payers, employers, patients, regulators, et cetera. And what we're really trying to get at there is the friction points and key hurdles and ways for us to kind of poke the bear, if you will, how we overcome those and how we overcome those by coming together and sitting at a table virtual or not. And we'll actually be doing a panel for this at HLTH and plan to do some workshopping of that. So it's not just uh, let's regurgitate the problem statements, but more so come back and hold us accountable as a group to say, well, how are we moving the needle here? So maybe at Vive or sometime in the spring, we can come back and actually start sharing where we're seeing successes, where we're seeing more outcomes and more use cases that we can amplify on a national level. Well, sounds like I'll be seeing you at HLTH as well. Yeah, looking forward to it. We started with you, Meg. So let's finish the episode with you. What makes you get up in the morning? What drives you? Well, I'm extremely fortunate you know, to be really close to my family. And I will say and share that my mom passed away about six years ago from cancer. She was definitely my best friend and watching her navigate all of that was just so incredibly painful and difficult and eye-opening, even being in healthcare for as long as I already had been, just how important this collective work is to improve care for everyone. And we all have stories like that, but that's really what gets me up every day. And I can't think of something that would be a better use of my time than attempting to better that experience for, of course, if I could have do that for her, but for everyone that's going through that right now. So that for sure is what gets me up in the morning and construction noise, right? <laughs> From the remodels that we're in process of. So one or the other. Yeah. I appreciate your honesty on this one and transparency. And thanks for sharing that with the audience. And with that, thank you very much for making the time and tune in next week. Thanks, Eugene. I really appreciate it. Thanks for tuning into the Digital Therapeutics Edition of Digital Health Today, a production of mission-based media. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast player so you're automatically notified each time I speak with one of these amazing leaders and trailblazers who are forging the path for digital therapeutics. If you'd like to learn more about Your Coach Health or Health Excel, you can find the links to this and more in the show notes for this episode. I'm Eugene Borohovich, and catch you next time.